Uh, you can open your Bible. I mean, you, y'all are going to know this verse by heart, but you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. Um, this week, you know, last week we talked about the Christianity of Christ, uh, that really the true doctrines of Christianity, how we're supposed to be in, in the things that we desire and our behavior and all that is revolutionary, it's radical, it's different than all the kingdoms of the world, it's different than... It's, it's, you know, opposed to all of the natural tendencies of the flesh. You know, it's if a man smack you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. You know, if a man compels you to go a mile, go two. Christianity is something drastically different than every other faith or every other religion on the planet. Uh, and this week, I want to talk about the church of Christ. So last week was the Christianity of Christ. This week is the church of Christ. Now, by the church of Christ, I do not mean anything to do with that denomination called the Church of Christ, but what I want to talk about today is what the Bible says, and honestly, we're only going to get to discover a small fraction of what the Bible says about the church. Uh, I really believe, well, I have been in church, honestly, my entire life, different churches, Uh, and I'm going to even talk about that in a minute. Church, in a lot of ways, is a journey. As Christians, we're not fully mature the day that we get saved. There's a growing process that happens. And as we grow in the Lord and grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, because really that's what growth is, is growing in understanding, growing in knowledge. And then, you know, we've talked about that before. You apply what you learn, and that leads to more growth and understanding. And then you apply what you learn, and there's this, this circle of learning, applying, learning, applying. And, that, and through that process, we become mature Christians. Well, also along the way, uh, it's, it's, it's not uncommon at all for a lot of people to end up in a different church setting than where they begin. Especially in my case, because I, I grew up in a, a, a free holiness uh, denomination. And so for me personally, uh, according to the way I understand the Bible through my years of study, I need to be in a different church. We'll just say that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not really going to deal with any type of false doctrines today. That's not what this is about. But let me, let, let's read this verse real fast. I'm just going to read the one verse. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is after, you know, Peter has made his confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we're going to look at other verses today. Not just that, but the reason I want to start there is because, honestly, if we're going to look at the true church of Christ, well, we need to look at, well, let's begin with Christ. And the points that I want to make today is, I I really want to do, I don't do well with series. Like, I really don't, because I get two or three sermons into it, and I'm like, you know, we need to change the subject for interest's sake or whatever. But I would really love to do uh, two or three, four or five weeks on the church. the teachings of the church in the Bible is amazing. It's amazing, the depth and the riches that's there. But I want to start with that verse, and then we're going to move on. But the first thing I want to notice is that Jesus Christ, well, first of all, the church belongs to him. He says it's my church. And when he says upon this rock, there's a lot of different debate on that. It, to me, it's very simple. He's talking about himself. He is the rock. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. He's the stone that came down and smote the image and broke it into pieces, and that stone became a great mountain, which is in reference to the kingdom of God. But 
the church is built on the foundation of Christ, and the Bible tells us no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ the Lord. And so I don't know why, historically, there's been debate on what that means. What does he mean upon this rock? What's the rock? Is he talking about Peter? No, he's not talking about Peter. At, at the very least, we can say, in reference to Peter, the confession that Peter had just made, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that rock, upon that confession, upon that truth, upon that faith, I will build my church. But the church belongs to Christ. But here's the other thing I want us to get. And I have, this will be the second time in five years, I think, that I have dealt with this topic because I had, well, I wasn't accused of it, but it was thought of me at one time that I was against the church. I am not against the church. Let me say that. Just because we have a home church does not mean I'm anti-church. Uh, we're going to learn today that the church is the body of Christ. If you're anti-church, you're anti the body of Christ. You can't, you can't be that. Uh, I do believe, though, there is the my church and then there is the not my church. There, there's the false church. Um, but let's say this right up front. The church is not a movement and it's not a man-made thing. There is a real church of Christ and we're going to deal also with when I'm referencing the church, what's in my mind pretty much most every time is what's in the mind of uh, the inspired word of God, a local church, a local assembly. Uh, of course, there is this such, such a thing as a, a, the, the fullness of the church. Uh, you know, saints scattered all over the world, they, in some sense, will make up this, this heavenly church. And one day, we will all gather together to meet the Lord in the air. You know, we'll be in heaven and we'll have church in heaven. I'm sure of it. We're going to worship God and continue to worship God throughout all of eternity. And the more you know about God, the better that eternity sounds to you. You know, I remember before I really understood anything, this idea of an eternity with God in heaven, worshiping God, I'm like, you know, well, what about what I want to do? You know, I didn't really understand it. But the more you know God, the more you want to be as close to God as you can possibly be. Um, but, so when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about what is really more like the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about every single you know, Christian who's ever lived throughout all of history. I'm not talking about that one sort of megalithic church. I'm talking about what the Bible has in mind. Well, if you even just type in the word church on a, a, a Bible search tool, well, for King James Version anyway, you're gonna, it's going to pop up about 80 to 90 verses. Uh, but oftentimes, honestly, the church is referred to, but not by the, the phrase church. It might even be referred to as the house of the Lord or the temple of God or something. Um, so it's really in there more than that. But if you look at that, what I'm, what, my point is this. Literally 95% of the time, it's talking about a local assembly, a local a congregation of believers. Uh, like, you know, the church which is at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, the church at Corinth, or in, like Galatians, it says the churches of Galatia. So... When Paul is talking about it, well, even we'll look in a minute when he's talking about the church at Corinth and he's giving them certain teachings about what they are to God and the whole uh, structure of the church. He's just talking about them, the one that he's sitting there looking at. He's not even talking about the thousands of churches around the world. He's, he's saying, and this is what I want you to understand, just because we're a church at home, we're a home church, everything in here that applies to the church is, applies to this church, Okay. Uh, being a home church doesn't give us sort of any ability to break the rules of, of church. Uh, it doesn't make us special. Honestly, we're not any more special than a church right down the road. As long as we're a biblical church, that's our, that's our goal, right? That's our heart. That's, that's, where we want, that's what we want to be. 
We want to be as biblical in, our, in the things that we believe and how we carry ourselves and how we love one another, how we behave, how we treat people. That's, that's what we want to be. And if the church down the road, whichever church down whichever road, if they're doing that too, they're just as much of a church of God as we are, a church of Christ, a true church, I'm saying. Um, so being a home church, it's not like, uh, and this, I really went through this before. You know, y'all kind of know the backstory. The, the, the whole congregation has kind of changed through the years. But I, I can just say for me personally, and I've studied the topic of the church a whole lot, uh, and I, I, to me it's one of the most beautiful things on earth. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not anti-church in any shape, form, or fashion. And even, so I don't even want to go into all this yet, but, okay, I would say I'm against organized religion. But to an extent, what does that really mean? Because the church, Christianity is the most organized religion. When I say I'm against organized stuff, it's what I talked about last week. I hate politics in a church. I, I mean, and I know that God hates it because he basically says, you know, he, he could spew them out of his mouth. And the political ways that the Pharisees, which was the church people, would behave and how they had all this pride and everything they done, what they done to be seen of men. You know, we talked about all that last week and I hate that, okay? But I'm not talking about the Pharisaical church today. I'm talking about the true church of Christ. And so, let me just say this. Y'all know me. I try my best to not be controversial. If there's any room in my own conscience for me to just kind of pressure myself this way or that way to avoid being controversial, I will. I mean, I, but all at the same time, I will not break my conscience. To, I will stand for the truth of what I believe in my heart. If that means it's going to cause an issue, I, you know, that, what more can a man do but do that? He has to preach what he believes to be the truth of the Word of God. So what I'm saying is this. There's going to be some things today that I'm saying that's controversial. But honestly, I, I, I have yet to find a doctrine of truth that is not controversial to somebody, somewhere, somehow. When you're preaching something that's true, and I submit myself to y'all's conscience. Y'all decide. But here's my point. Search out what I'm telling you today. Search it out. Seek it out. I'm not telling you to take my word for it. But I'm challenging you to go home and because we may not be able to do this series, but go home and continue studying on what we're talking about today. And ask yourself, because I'm telling you, I'm going to say some pretty profound things. Ask yourself, is that right? Is, is that right? Because I'll say, if it is right, uh, then church, which is an assembly of believers, gathering together, is one of the most important things you do in your whole life. It's a necessary thing. But... Let me just say this. Without the church, the church again being the local assemblies scattered all over all of the nations of the world. The church being that thing which John sees in the book of Revelation one day in heaven. He says, of, um, you know, a multitude which no man could number of every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue. You know, that, that, that's the vision of the church in heaven. And I also love the, 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 whole, the whole picture of the church in heaven there. That when you study out where the sound of many waters and the sound of thunder where they're saying, Alleluia, you know. I, I mean, can you imagine the millions of believers throughout all history of all time gathered together all at one time saying, Hallelujah, or Alleluia, or Holy Lord God, or what? I mean, it says it's the sound of thunder. It's, it's me. I mean, I get, I'm getting chills. 
right now just thinking about it. You know, I'm a music guy, and y'all know that. And I, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like to stand one day in the heavenly choir of the church and sing to God. But let me say this. Without the church, there is no Christianity. Where is it? Where's it at? If there is no local assemblies, which they may be gathered in homes, barns, fields, tents, houses, church buildings, but I'm saying if you took away what we call church, which is the Christian people gathering together, coming together to pray for one another, coming together to sing, coming together to study the Word, coming together to hear preaching, coming together to fellowship, coming together to eat. If no one did that, if every Christian said, no, I'm not doing that, where's Christianity? Really? I mean, if all churches disappeared, I'm not going to say leave the people, but just don't ever put them together. See, when we come together, when the church becomes visible, so to speak, the world can see it even. And then that's something that's very unique about our faith, about Christianity. Uh, man, there's like a million unique things about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands out. It's not even fair to compare him to somebody uh, like Buddha or Muhammad. It's not even fair. Uh, He's not even in the same ballpark is what I'm saying. But, you know, one of the great unique things about Christianity, about our faith, is the church. Buddhists don't really have church. Hindus don't really have church. It's, and they don't even really have these set doctrines. It's kind of like, you know, you do what feels good to you. Christianity, we have a church. And without the church, there is no Christianity. The death of Christ was the life of the church. But the death of the church is the death of Christianity. It, just think of it like this. If all churches all over the world, I'm talking about the true churches, if they cease to gather, if they cease to carry out their responsibilities as being God's hands and feet, so to speak, on earth, where would the Christianity be? If Christianity isn't seen, I've told you this before, if it's not practiced, Christianity is a religion of doing things, laying this down, taking this up, putting this behind you, but stepping forward this way, it's a, it's a, it's a faith of, of doing. And now, I'm not saying we're saved by the doing. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we all, we, all, we all have a calling. We all have a job. We all have a gift. We all have a something. And we need to be doing it. And that is carried out through the church. In fact, and I know I'm talking really fast, so I need to slow down, but i got a lot of ground to cover. i got a lot on my mind. You can go, let's say there's a, a, a population of indigenous somewhere, uh, and they've never heard anything about Christianity whatsoever. And you go, and you just preach the gospel to them. You say, I come to you knowing nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And then you leave them. You know what's going to happen there? A church will end up happening. When Christianity is applied to our lives, we can't help but want to be around fellow saints of God, fellow Christians. You can't help it. Now I'm talking about, you know, we want to be around the, the people that we really can see the fruit of faith in their life. You know, y'all know this. I don't, I don't want to be a part of no mega church stuff. I, and I probably shouldn't even say that. But it's because I think that's, you know, that's the false church, basically, that I don't really want to be associated with. It. But I tell you right now, there ain't nothing more that I love than being gathered around people who I, I can see. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I mean, there's an old saying, spirit bears witness with spirit. Even just seeing Michael this morning, I'm not putting him on the spot, but I'm telling you, I, it was like, I'm, like, I'm shaking the hands of a saved man. You know, I'm, I'm glad to see him walk up, even though we haven't really been able to communicate for several years. I was glad to see him. 
Uh, and that's what the church does for you. When Christianity, when the teachings of the Word of God are applied, a church just forms. There's no really escaping it. Okay? Now, if y'all want to turn to Ephesians 1, you can. This is something that everyone knows if you've read the Bible very much at all. You know this to be true, that one of the core doctrines of the church is that the church is the body of Christ. When Paul is speaking about marriage and Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, and that's it, you know, there is no other form of marriage, and then he starts, he, he tells the man that he ought to love uh, his wife as Christ loved the church, and that he gave himself for it. And he goes on and he, he ends up saying this right here. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 verse... Or sorry, no, that's not it. That's not it. I'll get to that verse in just a second. But let me start here first. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, speaking of Christ, it says that God had put all things under His feet, listen, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body. To the church, which is His body. Well, how literal does it really mean that? In Ephesians 5, verse 30, it says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. The way it's worded in Acts in another place is interesting to me. Y'all know when Peter preached his marvelous sermon on the day of Pentecost? And what, what does it say? 4,000 people were saved? It says, And God added, or the Lord added to the church... Daily, such as should be saved. So there it says he added to the church. But actually later in two places, in Acts 4 and Acts 11, it says in the, they were added to the Lord. The believers were added to the Lord. You know, when you're added to the Lord, you're added to the church. There's no getting around that. Because, and that's what I want to spend a minute on, because honestly this is profound. And that's what I'm saying. I, I think this, this teaching, this biblical teaching of the church, this doctrine of the church is so misunderstood that it's like when it clicks man when you get it which happened for me about six years ago I thought I, there's, I could never not be a part of a church somewhere now I mean we might have I've, I've, I've had seasons of three or four months where I'm like I just I need some time I need to get my family in order I need to get my house in order there's, I need to do some things. I need to get my mind, un, you know, I need to get understanding about certain things. So I've had seasons, it's happened to me twice, where I was, back whenever I was just going to church, where I took some time off. So that's not what I'm talking about. But I have decided, a long time ago, that part of my commitment to Christ, part of my laying my, my worldly wishes down, so to speak, part of my laying down this corporate career path that the world wants you to chase and all that is also me taking up a commitment to be a part, a contributing part of a local church somewhere because that's where the people of God is and I want to show you something else too. God's there. God dwells in our hearts by faith. Christ dwells in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, it tells, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit dwells in, every, in the heart of every believer. But it teaches us something else too that's pretty profound and that's what I want to look at. But before I even go here, I just want to stop and think about it for one more second. We know in another place it says that we're the Christ is the head and we are the body. If we, it's, it's an allegory, okay? 
It is an allegory to teach. It's a metaphor, so to speak. But if we take the point of the metaphor, it is saying the church or the churches are the hands and the feet and in a way the voice of the Lord on earth. It's through the church. Let me just say it this way. It's through the church that God answers most all prayers. If you've been praying for encouragement or if you've been praying for man you know i don't know how i'm going to make ends meet uh my job is is really messing me over or you know i've got the car broke down and i'm out fifteen hundred dollars and i mean really I, lord i need i need some help you know what 99.9 percent of the time this is how he does it he lays it on the heart of somebody in church that give him some money and it usually happens behind the scenes nobody ever and it's how it ought to be nobody knows it happened but it happened. I can't tell you the times where Katrina and I, and I hate using us as an example because it's not like we're super holy or nothing. We're just, we're, just, we're just like every one of you. It's just part of the experiences we've had where she was either sick or going through something and somebody showed up with food. Oh, I don't want to get emotional. I'm going to just, I'm going to quit talking about it. The stuff makes me emotional. When the children of God, when I know God is... God spoke to them and they obeyed and brought food or brought clothes. We've had people bring clothes or brought this or brought that. Or when God moves in us to do something for somebody and we don't even really think that much about it. Because we wasn't doing it like thinking it was some spiritual thing really. It was just like, man, the Lord, I don't even say the Lord laid it on my heart. Usually I just go up to him and say, here, have this. Or, hey, I just wanted you to know, I love you, man. I'm glad you're here. And it just melts their heart because they've been praying for something. I didn't even know they was praying for something. My point is, prayers are answered the way God does it, the way He works. How does He send the gospel out? Does He, you know, uh, just drop books from heaven? No, He sends people. He sends people that are sent out from the churches. So God's hands and feet, literally. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the church. How did, we believe in the infallible, inspired, inerrant, and preserved Word of God. But how did it get to us? Through the church. Who preserved it? The churches. So the church has an amazing, amazing, amazing identity biblically. The biblical identity of the church is it's the body of Christ. And it means that quite literally. If the gospel's going to spread, somebody's got to do some walking. If the gospel is going to be heard, somebody's got to do some preaching. And that all that stuff happens through the church. Now, okay, this is another way that I just want to paint the picture and help you guys understand it. Uh, in Corinthians, and y'all can have these notes whenever I'm done. All it is is Bible verses. That's it. Bible verses and headings. The Word of God teaches us that it says, Ye are the temple of God. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Y'all familiar with that verse? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? But there's something that's said there that I want to point out to you. He says, now ye are the body of Christ. But listen to this part because this is important. And members in particular. What is he really saying? Well, he's saying the same thing when he says ye are the temple. But it's, it's honestly missed in a lot of other translations. Here's why. The King James Version, thankfully, preserves what's called second person plural. The word ye in the Bible is the Alabama equivalent of y'all. 
It's not you. It's y'all. It's a second person plural. Singular in the Bible would be thee or thou. But ye is plural. So when he's saying ye are the body, he means y'all together. In other words, and he says, and members in particular, Phoenix alone is a member. Phoenix is not the body. Katrina alone is a member. She's not the body. I'm just a member. I'm not the body. But when we come together, when we assemble, we are the body. We are the temple. As Peter says, we're lively stones, living stones, built up and house unto the Lord. So when you think about it this way, this is why I'm making this point. How good is a body if the hand is over in Gunnersville and the foot is in Ider and the chest is at Geraldine and it never comes together? What can it achieve? Nothing. Because as individuals, we're just members. That's all that we are. We're members, which is an amazing thing, really. I am a member of the body of Christ. And so I love that. But if I never come together and I join myself to the foot and to the hand and to the voice or whatever, and we worship together, then where is the body? So let's say it this way. The church is the body of Christ. That's what it says. It says it, it, says it several times. But we can conclude, therefore, that the church is the body of Christianity. And if the body doesn't assemble, where's the Christianity? It has to. It has to. And here's some encouraging things just to leave you with some thoughts to, to, to take home and even to, to learn from and, and apply your mind to. The Bible teaches this plainly because what, what is the temple? In the, the temples in the Bible represented where God dwells. Even though it tells us we serve a God that doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Right? And we know that. But we're not temples made with hands. We're a holy house unto the Lord. That's what Peter says. That's what Paul says. So here's, my point is this idea. It uses both illustrations. You're the body. You're the body. You're the body of Christ. And through you, he, him being the head. And I ain't the head. You ain't the head. I ain't nobody on earth the head. Christ is the head. Christ is the head of every church. But through you, his body, he exercises his will on earth. Well, in the temple, the temple illustration, the lively stones built up a house unto the Lord. It's like, you know, one of us is a, a, a brick, you know, carrying some weight. One of us is a door frame or whatever. And when we all come together, it's like the temple is being assembled. Okay? What part am I? I don't know. It doesn't matter. What part are you? Don't know. It doesn't matter. We're all just a part of a temple and when we come together there's the building there's the church there's the temple and the illustration is that christ enters in when we gather together listen this is powerful to me like i'm going to try not to get super fired up because when we come together god comes in not that god isn't with us everywhere we go he is but it's it, listen is it not multiplied if i got the holy spirit of god in me and i don't have it like christ i don't have it without measure i've got a according to the grace of god i have however much you know, I don't know how this works, right? But I've got the Holy Spirit of God in me. And so does Mike. And so does Katrina. And so does Andy. And Mom and Alan. And guess what? When y'all start gathering, is that not more spirit there? Really? It's mathematically inevitable. Now, I'm not saying 
Man, I mean, Elijah was alone for like 90% of the amazing things God done for him. Fed him with meat from heaven, you know, dropped by the birds. He raised the young man from the dead. He lived, uh, you know, through a drought by a creek that never ran dry. He was alone. And so God can, I mean, even, you know, if faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, what about a little bit of God even smaller than a mustard seed? It, it's, it's still of infinite power, okay? So I'm not saying that God ain't going to answer your prayers and ain't going to heal you. No, he'll do every single bit of that. But I do know that the Bible's teaching is that when we come together as a temple built up, a house unto the Lord, and we're here to worship God, God comes in among us. It says it plain as day in Revelation. It says it this way. John has a vision. He sees seven stars and seven golden candlesticks. And Jesus tells him the meaning of it. He said the stars are the angels of the churches. I don't know what that means exactly. But I know this part. He said the candlesticks are the churches. The candlesticks are the churches. Turn the page, very next verse. It says this. And under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the churches. You see, there's no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt in my mind that when we come together, and especially, guys, if we can be in one mind and one accord, knit together in love, God is there to the point of just feeling it. And I don't, I'm not talking about this, you know, I hate to even bring this stuff up. I'm not talking about this charismatic, emotionalist, Pentecostal version. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, oh, you know, conviction of my sin. Or God, you know, moving in me, be a better husband. Be a better Christian. Be a better father. God doing things, bearing the, the fruit of the Spirit of God working in me. And it happens through y'all. Also, accountability. Accountability. I'm not going to smear the man because I had a tremendous amount of respect for him at one time. But there was a world famous apologist, which is a defender of the faith. Traveled all over the world for years and honestly just, I mean, his, his logic skill was amazing. It was second to none. His memory was amazing. But you know what? He never had a local church. He wasn't accountable to anyone. He lived under his completely own rule and own authority. And if y'all know the story, well, he ended up having one mighty fall. That, by the grace of God, I guess, didn't come out until after the man died. But I cannot help but believe that if that man would have had a local body of believers that he would join with on a regular basis, either he would have never got into what he got into, or somebody would have said, hey, you're going to have to take some time off of what you're doing and get your life right with the Lord. You see, we're accountable to one another. The Bible teaches us that. It actually says confess your faults one to another, which doesn't mean your sins. It doesn't mean i got to tell you what all my weaknesses are and you tell me your weaknesses. No, but it does mean this. If I do you wrong, I better apologize for it. I better confess it. I better say, Mike, I, I did you wrong. Or, Mike, I talked about you behind your back, which I did, but it was good, so I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> we got to confess our faults to one another. You see, we're accountable. And i tell you something else, too. The church does need more of some truth. In the confession, you know, I mean, we do have struggles. I'm not saying stand up here and say it openly. I'm saying go to a brother or sister that you can trust. Say, man, I, I, need, some, I need some prayer here or some advice here or some guidance here. You know, 
Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But man, the church does amazing things and the teaching of the Bible is plain that when we come together, that we are a house. Actually, that in, in Hebrews chapter 3 right there, it talks about it in that context where it says every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is, is God. And it says whose house we are. We are the house of God. And it says in Christ as high priest over that house. So it's taught all over the Bible. Now let me change direction just a little bit too. How long have I been talking? The devil hates the church. I would go so far to say, I know the devil hates every Christian, but I think he hates the church even worse than an individual Christian. He hates, I mean he hates for us to come together and show love for one another and worship God and sing God's praise, he absolutely hates it. Why? Because this is where the children of God are fed the Word of God and the love of one another and the encouragement and all the things that the Bible teaches us to do. Comfort you one another. Exhort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. All of the another you and another and do this for another... When we come together, well, first of all, you can't do that if you don't ever come together. You know, the, the, the doctrine of the church is so ingrained in the entire Bible that there's nowhere a command to go to church. It's just assumed you will. It says it over and over and over. When you come together, tarry, which means wait, wait one for another. When you come together, do this. When you come together, do that. In fact, it's so... What's the word? Pervasive throughout the scriptures that instead of a command to go to church, there's a command to don't quit going. Forsake not the assembling, which is churching. It's the churching. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, he mean, he's even saying it in a derogatory sense. Like, don't do what they're doing. Because they're not doing right. And so, the doctrine of the church is so pervasive throughout the scripture that it's, it's honestly like one of them things I think about. You know, the Bible doesn't start off by creating this backstory to prove to you God exists. It just starts off in the beginning, God. It's just there. It's just, it's just known. You know, this is, this is something that's well, on every page. Well, the church is like that. Think about this. If you took the church out of the Bible, how much of the Bible would be left? Well, immediately you got to lose Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans, Hebrews. You got to lose all of that immediately because all those was written to churches. But you also got to lose Timothy and Titus because that was written to pastors or teachers or whatever in churches. You got to lose Philemon because he was a pastor of a home church. You got to lose 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John because it was written to a church. You got to lose Peter because it was also written to the saints scattered abroad, which is the church. You got to lose Jude. But not only that, we've well, already you gotta lose the book of Revelation, because it says plainly, send this to the churches. Wrote a letter to seven churches. You lose Revelation. And now all you got left is the four gospels. That's the whole New Testament's gone except for the four gospels. But even in the Old Testament, you know the book of Psalms was the church book of the Old Testament church. I mean the song book of the Old Testament church. If you look at how how did we get the book of Psalms? Well, I mean, of course, every word of God was given by inspiration of God. But there were writers. Did you know God appointed singers? Asaph, 
Korah or whatever his name was. Of course, David wrote most of the Psalms, but he didn't write them all. And they would write these songs and sing them in the congregation of the Lord. Go back and read. Go read Nehemiah. Go read Kings. Go read when they was doing this stuff. If you took the church away, you would lose the Psalms. You'd also lose Leviticus because it's where the high priest was told how to do what to do when the whole assembly of the congregation of the Jews would come together and the rules there and how he would confess over the sin goat and all the people would stand outside and bow. There's a church. You'd lose Exodus because even the New Testament calls it the church in the wilderness. And really, if you really, really got deep, you'd lose Genesis too. Why? Because even Paul teaches us that Adam and Eve is a foreshadow of the church in Christ. And so Eve is even a picture of the church there. But anyway, if you took the church out of the Bible, what I'm saying is it's so, man, it's so everywhere that you would lose way more than half of the Word of God. And so, I'm doing what I always do. I'm out of time and I'm not done. Because I've got to hurry. But I do want to say this. Church is a journey. I, I, I'm happy to admit that. Even if we all stayed in this church, this church itself is on a journey. We're hopefully going to grow a little bit. I don't know. Let God decide. But we are growing within ourselves. And so as we grow in the Lord, we begin to edify one another differently. So our church itself, if you look at the church as a, a person, the church itself is on a journey. But I know that finding a church can be a journey too. And by the way, and y'all know, I, I would never, I did not, this, I had everybody this prepared before I ever knew they was coming, okay? And I thank God that y'all came today, but I didn't have anything to do with that. So, I mean, I know it seems like, oh, man, he's really recruiting hard today, doesn't it? But I'm not, I promise. I mean, I do love him, but that's not it. This was all beforehand, okay? Well, I say I had it all prepared. I added, I added notes in and stuff, but it had nothing to do with them. I don't ever preach that way. I, put, I preach whatever the Lord puts on my heart and let it fall where it may, you know? Um, but I know church is a journey. Honestly, what got me thinking on this was about 10 or 12 days ago, I read this post of this lady who went to church and somebody offended her. And she was like, I ain't going back. She said, because I, I had just decided I was going to get my son back in church and I go and then this man said this to me and then that's why I hate the church and I ain't going back. And I thought, well, I feel sorry for her that that happened. But she needs to find a different church. Or, let me say this too, part of the journey of church is bearing one another. Forbearing one another in love. I mean, I guarantee you there's times I get up here and bore y'all to death. But that ain't no reason to quit coming. Now, look, I'm not saying, I mean, if y'all leave here, fine, that's fine. But go somewhere. Go somewhere. Uh, uh, okay, the Bible teaches there's tares among the wheat, right? And so in every church of decent size, there's going to be some tares there. But if you can't be Christian at church, where can you be Christian? In other words, if you can't show the love of Christ in your own congregation, where can you show it? I mean, if something small offends you so much, it makes me want to ask, who's really the tear here? Because the one that done the offending probably did it accidentally, but the one that was so offended that he's not coming back, well, maybe you was the tear. I don't know. But I do know this. I would rather be wheat in a body of wheat where there's a couple tares, which is fake wheat, by the way. A tear is fake wheat. It looks like wheat. It acts like wheat, but it has no, it's not wheat. I would much rather be wheat among wheat with a few tares mixed in. 
than to be a wheat among tares. And when you're not at church, and I don't, I'm not even saying, you know, this can be you and, and your family and maybe a neighbor or something. Two or three are gathered in my name, right? When you're, when you're not gathering with someone, or let me, let me back up. When you are gathering with someone and you're actually, you know, singing, praying, whatever, that is church. But I'm talking about the people that stay home and they say, well, me and my dog had church this morning. No, you did not. That's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot do that. I mean, I know you love the dog, but that ain't people and that ain't church. I mean, I need to be careful here. I know, but... And look, you having a stroll down the riverbank on Sunday, that ain't church. You can worship God there for sure. You can worship God anywhere, but that is not church. It is not church. You have to... What, here's my point. When you're wheat, completely separated from the congregation... You're weed among the tares, which is worse. It's more dangerous. Listen. Y'all hear this saying all the time. I'm so thankful God left the 99 for the one, which was me, the one. He did. But what's the rest of that story? He took it back and put it with the 99 because that's where it belonged. It didn't belong out there by itself. Now, I'm not saying that this is your 99. I'm not saying that. But you've got a 99 somewhere. I believe with all of my heart that every single child of God has a family of God to be worshiping with somewhere. And I think if they pray about it, God will lead them there. But my point is, I like, I like the verse too. I mean, we all want to say that. Oh, I was the one. Lord, I thank you. But he took them back and put them with the 99, which was the flock, his church. That's what it's a picture of, right? So it's a great verse. But it's honestly a verse about don't leave the flock. Why? Because it's dangerous. He didn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against you out there by yourself. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And the church requires assembly. And I have seen it. People that I believe are saved. And I, I mean, they're going to die saved, in my opinion. But when they've been separated from the church for years and years and years, honestly, you can't really tell they're Christian anymore. Because this is where the fire is, so to speak. And it's all through the Bible that when we come together, that that's what happens. God provides for us in so many ways through the church. And man, I've got to wrap it up because I've already talked way longer than I meant to, but... Yeah. Just so y'all know, I personally believe, this is my, my closing argument, number one, I personally believe the church is a beautiful thing. It's God's economy for his saints. It's through the church. I mean, how do the widows get taken care of through the church? What about the orphans? Through the church. What about the hungry? Through the church. And I'm talking about within the church. I believe the church is, okay, there's a mission field of lost people for the evangelists and for the missionaries, and they need to go and preach. And guess who's going to keep them funded while they're doing it? The church. But there's also a mission in the church. God did not say take care of all of the lost people and let the church suffer. Actually, the church is his first and foremost thing. You know, that whole, the whole deal about judgment. You know, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When did we do it to you, Lord? When you did it to these, my brethren. My brethren. Key phrase, my brethren. When you did it to my brethren, you did it unto me. And so the church, we have a mission. In the church, too. We have a, a calling for one another. So let me close by saying, you cannot possibly fulfill the fullness of God's will for you in your life without a church. It's impossible. 
I'm going to say half of the teaching of the New Testament, at least half of what it tells you to do, you can't do when you're alone. You can't serve one another if you're not around one another. And so, that, you know, like I said, man, I, you know, I didn't even get to so much of the good things, the, the, the positive. The, the church is a gift. The church is a blessing. The church is beautiful. Uh, I didn't get to get into so many of those things. But that's what God laid on my heart probably 10 days ago was to talk about this just so that we know. And I thought about, man, you know, we're, we're like a church of kids mostly. You know, Lord, why do I have to go deep into this stuff, you know? But I think our kids need to hear it. Our kids need to hear it. We may not stop and think about teaching them this stuff. And so, okay, I'm done. Does anybody have a, a testimony or anything? Prayer